normal in the 60s was that a woman needed her husband's permission to get birth control, needed her husband's signature to get a loan. Normal was women didn't go to Ivy League schools. That was normal. Is that the normal you're talking about? This is the Rebel HR Podcast. If you're a professional looking for innovative, thought-provoking information in the world of human resources, this is the right podcast for you. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, I'm extremely excited to welcome our guest today, Ira Wolf. Ira is a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body and the world's first chief Googleization officer. He ranks in the top five global thought leaders in future of work and HR on Thinkers 360. He's the president of Poised for the Future Company and founder of Success Performance Solutions. Uh, he's presented on a number of different stages, and today we're going to be talking about Googleization of HR. Welcome to the show, Ira. Hey, thanks very much, Kyle. Hope you're doing well. I really appreciate uh, being here. Well, we, we appreciate you uh, spending some time with us, and I'm just I'm fascinated to dig into this topic. You know, we're all about kind of innovation in the HR space, and I, I think some of the work that you do and your your perspective is going to be really really valuable. So why don't we start off just for our listeners? What is Googleization? Glad you asked that. Uh, Googleization literally started about 13, 14 years ago. Uh, my book, my prior book, uh, was Geek Skeezers Googleization, which is now I re, now I use that as the name of my podcast. Uh, but it was going to be about the wired, tired, and technology. We were talking about the four, the four or five generations in the workplace at the time, and you know, people were, were just talking about at that point, it was the millennials. And then, you know, a couple of years prior to that, it was Gen, Gen X and then a couple. And now we talk about Gen Z. Uh, but ultimately, people tended to just look at the generations and exclude the environment that they grew up in, the technology. So I, I wrote the book on saying, OK, yeah, there are differences in the four generations or five generations, uh, but there is an impact of technology. So I was going to call it the wire tired and, and uh, technology. And then I heard uh, Warren Bennis had a book out about the geeks and the geezers. And I thought that was a, that was a good aspect. And it was geeks, geezers and technology. And I don't know where I came where I saw it, but I came up somewhere with Googleization. Um, I, I think it was, I saw the ization of something like, <laughs> uh, and it's like Google, Google, Googleization and uh, the alliteration worked great. I'm, I, a lot of my themes are about um, alliter people remember alliterations, sure. uh, sort of like acronyms and mnemonics. Uh, what it evolved to when I was writing, when I was going to do an update to the book, realizing I actually didn't talk a whole lot about technology in the book. Um, when I, a couple of years later, it was about 2015, 2016, I, I did my TED talk and it was about change. And I said, okay, I have all this information. Um, I'm going to kind of expand upon, you know, my 15 minute TED talk. Uh, I'm going to write a book. And so I went back to Geek Skeezers Googleization, uh, figured I'll talk about, didn't talk about Gen Z at the time because they really were not in the workplace. Uh, and I realized that the technology, you know, we were talking about this before we just went on the air, uh, the technology changed so fast. So here I, I wrote a book in 2008. The iPhone had just come out in 2007. 
And it's got, how did I not talk about like the iPad, about tablets, not about the iPad itself, but let's talk about tablets uh, or the cloud. And realizing it's, well, the iPad wasn't introduced to 2010. And then between 2010 and 2016, it became well adapted. You know, I mean, every, you know, it became mainstream. Ubiquitous. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And there were so many different tablets. And then the, you know, the phones got smaller, then they got larger, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so they got, became almost mini tablets. Right. So the theme became how quickly things changed and uh, Googleization actually a long way around there, but Googleization became the convergence of people, technology and business. Interesting. And, uh, you know, then we had 2020 and uh, it was <laughs> yeah. really the convergence of people, technology and business. <laughs> yeah. Your timing's right. Your timing is right. 2020. And, and if you weren't at least a little bit tech savvy, you had to figure it out pretty quick last year. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And people are struggling. And that's something, you know, we can go into it. Talk, uh, my passion project for about the last year and a half uh, which just, again, happened to find a lot of time last year to be able to do it. it was about adaptability, about, uh, you know, what's required for people to change. And we talked about that, but most people thought it was a functional thing that if you be, if you be, if you start, if you knew how to use technology or if you learned how to use technology, that meant you, that meant you were adaptable. No, it just meant you, be, you knew how to use technology, mm-hmm. uh, but people are struggling <laughs> with it. I mean, people are struggling, you know, people were sent home. And now they're back. Uh, they're trying to get back. People are struggling. What does back mean? What does right. back to normal mean? Uh, what does that, people are talking, you know, you're, you're in HR and, and what's the hybrid workforce look like? And people think it's this, you know, you're either at home, you're at work or you're hybrid. Okay. Now you get in the hybrid and no one has a clue what hybrid means. <laughs> uh, is hybrid means four days a week in the office and one day out? Because that's not what mo- a lot of people think is hybrid. People are, it's like, well, I'll come in when I have to, but that doesn't mean I'm coming in four days a week. Is it three days a week? Is it two days a week? And then do all the people who are talking about that, that they say, yeah, I'm well, I, I really want to get back to the office, but I, I'm also don't want to commute five days a week. So I'm going to come in Mondays and Wednesdays because my spouse is coming in. Those are the days I'll be home with the kids. Yeah. And I can be at home. And they say, but we want you to come in Tuesday and Thursday. Well, that doesn't work right, <laughs> anymore right. um, because people adapted to this and I don't People just aren't going back to it. I mean, I've seen statistics as high as 80 percent of, of, of people who were, were working remote um, want to continue to work remote some of the time. Yeah. And some of the time becomes the variable. So from an HR perspective, from a management <laughs> perspective, how do we make it work all the time? And then the rabbit hole goes down. So how do you develop a culture when there's people come, there's one group of workers coming in Monday and Wednesday and another one coming in Tuesday and Thursday. And, and every once in a while, everybody gets together. And how, how do you make that happen? And how do you create a culture during that environment? That's Googleization, by the way, that's the long (laughs) explanation of Googleization. That's what it is. Um, It's not just Google. Um, It's, it's really beyond Google, but it's about the convergence of people, technology and business. Right. And it's I, I think, you know, that kind of that thought exercise that you just went through and the, uh, you know, that that 
th- that thinking, I mean, that's happening everywhere right now. If you're it, it, and you're the person in the HR department trying to figure out how to, okay, you've got all these things converging at once. You've got all this implementation of this new technology that probably has worked better than you expected in most cases. I think um, I was actually pleasantly surprised how quickly people adapted to video meetings instead of business travel meetings and, um, you know, and the efficiency that came out of that. Um, but yeah, then you also have the, the, the counter argument of, yeah, how do you build a culture when, when you haven't intentionally structured your business around working remotely? And and the answer is it's really, really freaking hard. (laughs) Well, Uh, it was hard before. Yeah, exactly. I think it became, oh, we were, it's almost, and I say this not so much tongue in cheek because it's a little, a little bit of sarcastic here, sarcasm, is that we we talked about how do we build a culture remote, but then you go back to you know Gallup certainly you know everybody's probably familiar with the Gallup statistics that we only had 30% engagement of employees before the pandemic right? for years. Right. And it's not like, oh, well, it was really tough in 2019. No, this is going back since they started. It's almost 25 years, I think, they've been tracking employee engagement. And statistically, it's pretty consistent. It was about 30% of the popu- of the workforce was, was engaged and 70% wasn't, was disengaged. Uh, so the, you know, even, even though we focused and we talked a, a lot about company culture, we weren't very good at it <laughs> for, for all those years. We've always sucked. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't very good. Yeah. And so here's a kind of a clean slate. And yeah, for some people, it was very, very difficult. How do we, through a two-dimensional screen, create a culture? And yet other companies did it. In fact, some companies, it improved because there was more engagement. There was more availability. Um, the the senior manager, the C- the CEO and the other senior managers became more authentic. They right. became more transparent. You were able to see inside their home. You know, they were interrupted by kids. They were interrupted by cats and dogs. The phone rang. Uh, oh, hang on. The doorbell is ringing. My Amazon delivery is here. I got to go <laughs> sign for it. Where if that happened, it, and that's all culture, by the way. Right. That, there's no magic to it. That's that's culture. If that happened before the pandemic, then it's, hey, when we have a meeting, you need to be focused. And then all of a sudden, everybody became it became vulnerable. Everybody can be susceptible. So in some ways, the culture, the culture was exposed. And it's like we weren't very good at this before. And now we have a chance of making it better. And you can't can do it through technology exclusively, you know, is Slack as good as having a chat around the water cooler? No, but if I don't have to spend an hour, an hour and a half in commuting right. each way and all the hassles um, and I can do it instantaneously, uh, yeah, I think it's probably a better culture. Yeah, so I, I, I really push back on the fact of how hard it is. <laughs> I just don't think we were very good at it in the first place, <laughs> and but we were pushed to do it. Right. Because now it's all of a sudden, well, how do we have a culture in a remote workforce? Right. Go, I don't know because we don't have a good we don't have a good blueprint before this. Well, it's it's that's an interesting point. You know, one of the things that I would call out, and I'm sure many other HR practitioners can relate to this. 
we also there's a lot more visibility on it now because we can much more efficiently gauge how our teams are feeling through the use of some of these tools. So now that everybody's on a video call, I can see everybody's nonverbals on that call. And I'm, oh man, I know something's going on. Something's going on with Gary. Gary looks really pissed off. I better see, you know, it's like we have all these data points now and it's, you know, some of the things that may have been happening, you know, on a phone call that we just don't know about are now on a video call that we do. And I, I think it's highlighted some of those challenges uh, for me specifically, my job prior to the pandemic was traveling 50% of the time. And as an HR guy, I'm traveling around to see how the team's doing, you know, and, <laughs> and do audits and assessments and help. And a lot of my job does need to be in person, but the efficiency of being able to talk to somebody in Singapore or Amsterdam or the UK in a matter of minutes is so much more effective than you know, getting jet lagged and, and being gone from my family for a week. Right. So there's, there, there is definitely some things that need to be retained. Um, my experience, I would, I would agree that our experience at my company has specifically been, um, it, it's been an, an improved employee experience and we've seen significantly improved connections, especially amongst our, our, our global business units that have, you know, previously pretty much were in silos and didn't interact with each other much. Now we're, now we're seeing a lot of that interaction and it's, I think technology has, has, has enabled it. I, I guess my question would be, as I reflect on that, you know, what, what if 2020 hadn't happened? You know, what if it wasn't that weird, like black swan event and everybody just gets forced to do this? Um, you know, what, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, it, it's interesting because we talk about I, I don't talk about the black swan, but I, but Nassim Tlaib was who came up with that term, the black swan. He wrote the book on it. And and frankly, the pandemic was not a black swan event because it was predictable. So, <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah, fair we, point. We, we just ignored all the signs. <laughs> yeah, we just didn't <laughs> or, listen. <laughs> or, or, or many people did. Uh, but he talks about being anti-fragile of how do you grow? How do you which is what we're talking about? How do you grow stronger? It's not just resilience. Resilience is is how do you bounce back and grit, you know, and there's a lot of people talk about grit and they talk about, uh, you know, that's endurance, that's perseverance and passion, according to Angela Duckworth. But if the environment's changing around there and you're just persevering and you're bouncing back, but everything else is changing around you, then you came back to, you know, it's like, I don't, it's like Rip Van Winkle uh, or, um, <laughs> or uh, what was it? Um, uh, Re uh, Shawshank uh, Re Redemption. You know, it comes out 50 years later and it's like, wow, the world's moving so fast. It changed so much. And that's sort of what happens with grit and resilience is that that's where you come out. And he and what uh, Nassim Tlaib, well, a long way around Black Swan, but what Nassim Tlaib talks about uh, is how do you grow? Uh, how do you become anti-fragile? Anti-fragile is how do you grow stronger? How do you become better after an event like this? And a lot of people are just in coping mode. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and doing that. And I think, and that relates back to the culture that relates back to the technology is, is that, Hey, this is the new world. We're not going back to the way it was. Uh, we're not going back to, to a normal that we used to know. Uh, and we, we can talk about, you know, some of that as well. But one of the things that we are going to do is that, uh, we, we need to, you know, what lessons did we learn, uh, through the pandemic? And, and certainly one of them is we don't have to have every meeting in person. There will be occasions 
will where the interaction until we have virtual reality and holograms, uh, you know, mainstream. Uh, until then, there will be opportunity that uh, and situations where physically we should be in the same place. Right. But we don't need to be for quite a bit. And people who telecommute, who have telecommuted for years, I, I've been virtual for 15 years. Uh, actually, more than that, since 2004, because I we, we moved an office and I never moved into the office uh, because, <laughs> because I had an interim. I was also in a, an interim role as a VP of a hospital. So I said, oh, when I'm, I was supposed to be for six months, when we're out of that, I'll move into my office. And that extended for three years, the end of three years. And so I'm not going to move back in because everybody's used to me not being there. So I'm not going to move back into my office. And I literally moved out of state. And then my my employee, who's one of my employees, has been with me for 18 years, said, um, "Do you mind if I move to, you know, is it okay if I work from Virginia?" And I said, "Well, sure. I'm working from Maryland, <laughs> you know." <the laughs> office. And so we shut down the office. She moved to Virginia. Now she's in Missouri. Uh, we've been doing it all along, and it functioned fine. So the world caught up up to us last year and realize it can work. Yeah, there's times where it would be nice to just walk into the other office and ha drop something on a desk, um, but you don't have to. And uh, I think that's the lesson we were. So you asked about what happened and well, there's two sides. I asked ask the other way around. I said, what if 2020 wasn't the blip? Right. <laughs> Which is what a lot of people think. Oh, that's like a once in a hundred years. So now we can go to the next 99 years and everything's gonna be normal. No, that's not the case. This this is the normal. Uh, what if 2020 didn't happen? Um, it would have probably stayed on the pro pro the projections that existed that by 2030, you'd have 40 percent of the population working remote. Um, we did it in 48 hours <laughs> <laughs> in 2020. Kicking and screaming, but yeah. you got it done. It was well, you didn't have time to kick and scream. You just did it. It's like just go home. Uh, we, actually, my stepdaughter just uh, and daughter-in-law, she was just called in the work. Uh, they shut. They decided after a year, they're shutting down the office. And it's like, hey, come in and pick up your computer. Uh, you know, up until then, they were working on a laptop. And it's like, yeah. no, pick, come in and pick up your computer. So, uh, <laughs> so there's, there's still those transitions going along. It, it's going to be somewhere in the hybrid world. But I think if people are looking for hybrid as some type of defined workspace you know um uh, we had some guests on my podcast and and been talking about it they they talk about the four-day work week um which has been talked about for for years and a four-day work week is not it, it it really is a symbol for change it's not necessarily for 10-hour days which people say oh yeah we can do that and then you can have off friday now it goes beyond that it may be uh it may be a four-day work week also can mean two days in the office, two days remote. Right. You know, four-day work week, we, we're redefined work. Work does not mean it has to be done in an office. Right. And, and by the way, remote doesn't mean it has to be done at home. You were working remote when you were, yeah. you know, when you weren't in the office, you were working remote. Right. Right. Uh, so remote is, is even a misnomer. Um, <laughs> people always think is it, because we, you were, you were. I talked to somebody the other day. Said ninety percent of her time she's been traveling. She had an office, but she were she, she's been remote, but nobody ever considered her remote because she had a name tag on an office right. in a corporate building, which was never used. Right. Yeah, my team just just knows when the door shut and, the, and it was locked. You know, I was just traveling. You know, so call me. 
And then when the, you know, when we were in the middle of a pandemic, the door was always shut. And so they just called me and not a whole lot changed, <laughs> you know, 90% of my job was already on the phone. So it, it, it just turned into video meetings. That was the biggest change. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I've had, I've been in business 26 years. Uh, this is my 26th year. Um, I've had clients for, um, I have one of my longest clients is, uh, since 1999. If I would have bumped into them on a street, standing in line somewhere with them, I would have not known who they were until the last year. <laughs> I never met them physically, didn't know what they looked like other than a LinkedIn picture right, right. Uh, or, or something, had no idea. But over the last year, I got to meet a lot of my clients uh, because it was easier because we did a video call and, and we got to see each other. So, so again, there, you know, things have changed. Some things have gotten a lot better. Um, felt feel a lot closer to a lot of people. Uh, again, sharing experiences, backgrounds. Uh, you look in the back and you see a, a painting, or you know, you see your kids' drawings, or you see something from sports. Um, it just created a lot more opportunity rather than a sterile environment. <laughs> yeah, you get on those calls and you're like, you know, if you don't see a like a a cameo from a cat or a dog. Um, one of my favorites, uh, was right. It was, it would have been like May, June, right around that time where we were like, oh geez, we might be home longer than we thought. Um, at one point I was on a call and everybody was growing some sort of facial hair. It was like, the, <laughs> yeah, we could try have long hair. Yeah. 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 You know, you couldn't go to get your hair cut. So everybody was just seeing how long it could go. Um, I remember yeah. being on a call really early on. And, and again, it just exposed the, the fact is that I'm not sure a lot of these opportunities would have existed before. But I remember I was on a call. There was a group and they were doing these uh, was the global mental, the not mental, global mentor network. Um, and they they had they they have their mentor network was was really top officials. And they had General Stanley McChrystal from uh, the Afghanistan years. Wow. And he was he was one of the, the speakers and they were talking about how you adapt and he was talking about logistics and planning and what it was like, you know, to mobilize or demobilize or extract. You know, basically he was talking about extracting forces. You were talking about taking people out of the workforce. And, you know, in the middle of his presentation, his uh, young granddaughter <laughs> comes in and he just picks her up, puts her on her lap and introduces her to everybody. Uh, where. Prior to that, that would have been uh, like right before that was where that episode happened on uh, like YouTube, where a little a young child ran into um, the executive's office. Oh, yeah. On the screen, and yep. like the mother came in and quickly pushed him Hold away. And I, was, I was like, oh, how, I'm so embarrassed that happened. He tried yeah. to talk right through it like nothing was going on. Um, you know, now is like a real human being. Yeah, that's what that's what most people go through when they're working from home. And prior to that, it was a distraction. And over the year, it became all the valuable time we had to have now with our kids that you never used to see. Right. So my, I mean, now we, I'm, I'm too, I don't have any young kids, but I have a grandchild. He's 19 months. And he, when he, we, ba my, my, mostly my wife, I'll say at that point, babysits uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I try to carve out some time. But as soon as he comes over, he wants to come down to my office. So he'll come in and oftentimes I'm on a call and I just pick him up, introduce him to the group. You know, he waves and off he goes. Yep. 
that made us human beings. Right. Right. That made us that made us real, which I so I, I hope we don't lose that. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because you know so much of the work in in HR of the last few years has been about you know employee experience, human experience, humanizing the workplace, being more authentic, uh, you know, in, in the workplace. And and yeah, 2020 was one of those years. It was you know a lot of the technological changes that happened. It just it kind of forced that uh, a little bit. And I think um, it certainly humanized a number of a number of uh, my colleagues. And, uh, and it also, it almost gave us, um, you know, it's, it's like we were kind of in the same foxhole, right? You know, we've got this, we've got this common enemy, uh, this, this unseen enemy and we're, we're, we're all in the same situation together and just, you know, trying to, trying to survive. So, you know, when, when we're going through some of these kind of these formative experiences and, and, you know, you talked about grit and getting stronger, I know there's a tendency for people to just kind of long for normal. And, you know, the phrase that I feel like it's so overused now is this whole, this, this concept of the new normal. Uh, so as, as we look at normal, is that anything that we're ever going to get back to? I can't remember if we've seen the beginning of this or before we went on the air. Uh, we were talking about diversity and inclusion. Let's talk about s- social and racial equity, justice. Um, I'm not sure there's, there's a whole segment of the population that does not want to go back to normal. <laughs> um, you know, you, you can go back to when I was young. I mean, normal in the 60s was that a woman needed her husband's permission to get birth control, mm. um, needed her husband's signature to get a loan. Um, normal was women didn't go to Ivy League schools. Um, that was normal. Uh, is that the normal you're talking about? Um, <laughs> you know, prior to civil rights. I mean, we're 50 years into civil rights. Um, is normal that blacks aren't able to drink out of the same fire hydrant, ride the same bus, stay in the same hotels? Uh, that was normal back then. So the question is, is what's normal? Is, is also unique to our perspective. Um, people want to go back to what they knew, what they're comfortable with. Some people do. Uh, other people do not. Uh, so I, I, I talk about the next, and I, and I didn't really think about it that way until everybody, as you said, came up with new normal, next normal, future normal, <laughs> all over right. Right. And one of my colleagues talked about there'll be multiple futures. And so I, I, I tend to talk about preparing for the next waves, plural, of normals. <laughs> there will be, and, and, and normals becomes in multiple ways that you may experience normal differently than I do, but we're both white males. <laughs> um, but then there's people in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, different colors, different races, different genders. Uh, that will experience normal for good or bad. Uh, it will be different for them. Uh, but it's also going to come in waves. Not everybody's going to experience. We're not. It wasn't like July 4th, the world opens up and everybody's good. We know that's not going to happen. Uh, we know there's going to be other transformations. So how do we change our mindset? How do we 
individually adapt to next waves of normal. So I've been vaccinated. Uh, Pennsylvania is in pretty good shape. They're going to they're talked about. I think Philadelphia is like going full blast open in two or three weeks. You know, other parts of the state are doing that. There's other other states that are still shutting down. We're still wondering what we're going to do with schools. Uh, but it's not universal. I mean, it, there are different. And then on top of that, it's like, OK, the pandemic's gone, but now we got a gas shortage. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, hackers on the pipeline and the yeah, gas I mean, shortage. I, I talk about VUCA. You know, I, that was my yeah. talk. I talk yeah. about VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. I said, what a better acronym for 2020, volatile, uncertain, complex, <laughs> and ambiguous. Uh, that's what it was. That's that. If you want to have one definition of normal, it will be volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. It's VUCA. That's the new normal, which yeah. means that it's completely uncertain. It's uneven. Um, we're going to have waves of it. Um, so it, my definition of normal is VUCA, which is not <laughs> most people's definition of normal. Most people's definition of normal is predictable, slow, steady. Um, right. Comfortable. No, it, the answer to that is no. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're not going back. It's a, I, I'm, I'm really glad you didn't just answer it. No, because that would have been a much less entertaining uh, response. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Gas, um, you know, gas line hack. Like what a, what a great example of just something that, you know, it's probably predictable, but unexpected. Um, and, and now you got the government coming out and saying, Hey guys, don't fill up plastic bags with gas. It's not a good idea. You know, it's like, come on guys, let, let's, let's take a deep breath. And don't get all the toilet paper and paper towels. Right. I kind of, I don't, I don't know about other HR people, but I kind of find HR to be kind of like a funny case study in human behavior and like a little bit of psychology, a little bit of sociology mixed in and, and sometimes it's just it's just kind of fun to watch the uh, you know the reactions of people. Uh, but you know, as we talk about the, kind of the, the the VUCA world, and I agree 100. percent you know I I like to say change is the only constant. Um, and I can't remember where I heard that. I didn't I didn't make that up. Well, but uh, but what, what which is also interesting, Hercules said that, <laughs> like in 400 BC. That's where that came from. It's so they've been talking all along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright and trademark. Yeah. Uh, they've been talking along that f since the f since BC. Yeah. Is yeah. change is the only constant. We still haven't you, as human beings. We still don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. So so how how do we how, how do we build that muscle? How do we build our adaptability? Um, so that, so that we're ready for that, so that we can be nimble in these types of situations. I'm glad you asked. Um, I've been, you know, again, my TED talk was about VUCA. It was about, uh, we talked about VUCA prime, which I got to give credit to Bob Johansson from the Institute of Future. He turned me on to that. Um, and he talked about, um, you know, how do you turn volatility? There's a VUCA prime and VUCA prime, uh, his version of it, um, was a vision, um, uh, understanding, uh, clarity and agility. So how do you, so that was the focus. How do you turn that uncertainty into, uh, tools that you can use? And, you know, there's a couple different variations. So when I did my Ted talk, that's what we talked about. Um, but 
making that it's like how do you make that transition and so i was i was introduced to the adaptability quotient uh, a few years ago and then uh, ended up partnering with a, an organization in the uk they did a lot of research through singularity university through the un uh, through a, they, a couple corporations uh, and a few other universities. And they started to look at the question you just asked, how, how do we build that? And what they, they identified, there were 15 dimensions and they broke them into three categories. We, individuals have abilities, they have skills. And then there was our character. How does our personality impact that? So as an extrovert, we need to talk to other people. We need to think out loud. And for introverts, you think to yourself, you know, you mull it over. Um, and how does that impact your ability to change? And then the third factor was the environment. And the environment is, is the company culture, which we just we, we also talked about earlier. So company culture wasn't necessarily that we had to be in one place and there, there was something that you felt, um, but uh, it was measured by company support, uh, team support, emotional support, um, how stressful is the job, uh, and how stressful is the environment in which you work in. So, so you have the three categories and they call it the ACE model, A-C-E, which is abilities, character, and environment. I've been focusing on the abilities and we mentioned two of the five abilities before, grit and resilience. So we do need grit and we, do, we need resilience because moving through the stages of adaptability is at the low end, there are people who collapse, who fail, who decline. Uh, and then you have coping. So there's skills you need to cope with change, but coping doesn't help you get better. And then um, you, you can grow. How do you grow with change? And then, or how do you thrive with change? Because you can grow, but not thrive. So the four stages are declining, coping, growing, and thriving. How do you move through those? Well, you need grit and resilience. You need to persevere to go from one step to the other. You need resilience because there's gonna be setbacks no matter what, we're, we're gonna have setbacks. But how do you become better? How do we go back to that anti-fragility that I talked about? How do you grow stronger and better? And in order to do that, you need growth, have a growth mindset, if you're familiar with growth mindset. Uh, Carol Dweck, uh, W-D-E-C-K, if anybody wants to look that up, uh, she wrote a book. She did a study, studies with kids, uh, which is the same what Angela Duckworth did with grit. They, they had identified you know, that in kids first, and then how do we take that to business? Uh, they growth a fixed mindset is, and I was afflicted with a growth mind a fixed mindset for years. Fixed mindset was that our 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 IQ was set, our intelligence was set, and you're either smart or you're not, or you're good or you're not. And at some point, you know, if you had good grades, if you were smart, if you were a star athlete, you stopped experimenting, you stopped trying things. Because if you failed, people would say, well, I thought you were so good. I thought you were the star. I thought you, you know, you were the top of the class. I thought you, I hired you to, to do this job. And now you're saying you need to go back to school. Well, I got hired a student if they need to go back to school. Why do I need to do that? So you started to fall into that fixed mindset. And growth mindset was just that Life is life. We're always evolving. We're always learning. We're always growing. We're going to make we're going to make mistakes. You learn from your mistakes. Uh, so we need a growth mindset. We need mental flexibility. Mental flexibility is the ability. Uh, a couple, there's a couple definitions for it, but primarily it's the ability to take two opposing thoughts and keep two opposing thoughts in your head at the same time. So it's it's literally listening to CNN and, and um, 
Fox News and MSNBC <laughs> simultaneously and not taking sides, but trying to see what's the big picture? How does this all work? Uh, and, and not not having your head blow up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's it's mental flexibility is a struggle. And then the final one is unlearning. That's not the final one. The fifth one is unlearning. And then learning is not dumping, you know, it's not doing a brain dump. It's not forgetting everything you, you did. But it's how do I unlearn the bad behaviors or, or the counterproductive behaviors? They worked. They helped me get to this this place. Um, that's what I was known for. But you know what? If I continue to do that over and over again, they're not going to work. It's not going to be helpful. It's not. They're not going to be as successful. So I, I need to to learn new things, but I need to unlearn or maybe you apply them in a different way and unlearn the old model. So the five abilities that we can, and these, the good thing about this, they're all learnable, is grit, resilience, mental flexibility, growth mindset, and uh, unlearning. And by doing that, they've been able to demonstrate that people that can improve in those areas uh, can become more adaptable. And ultimately what adaptability does is adaptability gives you the courage to try new things, to take that step, to try a new behavior, to get a new job, uh, to change the business model, whatever it might be. It gives you the courage to do that. And the more the more attempts you have at it, the more confident you become. And ultimately, if you become confident, you're more hopeful. Uh, and this is about hope. I mean, it's about you can't go into the future with a dystopian view that the robots are going to take our jobs and the world's coming to an end and we're all going to asphyxiate because of climate change and, we're, <laughs> or, you know, or be underwater. I mean, if, if that's how are we going to, if we're always going to be on the defensive, you're not going to be optimistic, but how do you develop hope? How do you become more hopeful for our future? And in order to do that, you need to be confident. You need to be courageous. And so I don't look at it as adaptability as, Oh, it's a number one leadership skill. Um, it's an everybody's skill. And the, the group that I'm, I, I've partnered with has a mission. I mean, their mission is how do you help 100 million people in the next 10 years not be left behind? Uh, because that's the risk uh, of how many, you know, the World Economic Forum uh, estimated this was before uh, 2020, uh, estimated that 375 million people are at risk of being left behind. Uh, and some of that was just lack of technology. Some of that was lack of clean water, clean air uh, in, in other events. Uh, but it's it's much worse now. It just I got accelerated. So, uh, again, uh, you know, how do we make that leap? How do we get people more comfortable, more courageous, more confident, more hopeful? Um, it's through adaptability. And the good thing is they're they're also uniquely human skills. We they. There, we are so far off from having a robot or AI um, being more open-minded. Um, you know, to un <laughs> they can they can learn patterns, but they can't unlearn the patterns <laughs> that they come up with. That's not that that's not what um, you know AI does. Uh, eventually, yeah, but we're pretty far off from that. So, what are the uniquely human skills we can teach people uh, to develop and improve? And, and it's grit, resilience, mental flexibility, uh, growth mindset, and, and uh, unlearning. Absolutely. Uh, it, and thank you so much. I think uh, you summed it up so well. And, and 
you know, as I reflect on 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 my career and my growth in in organizational, you know, experiences that I've had, and you know, if if you're in human resources and you aren't adaptable, you're it's really going to be a struggle. It's it's not going to be fun, you know, quite frankly. And and I think especially in our world, it is easy to it's easy to lose hope sometimes because because the problems are so challenging and if, and you have to have that kind of that grit and resilience and you have to you have to sometimes you're helping people through maybe some of the worst situations that they've ever dealt with in their lives mm-hmm. um, whether that's you know a termination of employment or you know the illness of a family member or themselves you know those those types of situations land on our desk all the time and but I, I loved your perspective that you know hope you know hope allows you to be adaptable and and uh you know i think that that certainly hit home for me it's kind of like the uh um i can't remember the movie but it was a it was a woody allen movie and he he was a young young child and he said you know what's what's the point eventually the sun's gonna you know grow up and and earth's gonna be over in a few billion years so why are we here at all <laughs> yeah, you always had a unique perspective of looking at things. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, when when we talk about, you know, from an HR perspective, we talk about, uh, I, I get a call every day. I mean, my business is, we primarily do like pre-employment and leadership testing. So I get a call is, do you, you know, we want to test for grit. We want to test for emotional intelligence. Uh, or and then I'm involved with a lot of other conversations on diversity and inclusion and bias and pay equity. How do we make those changes? Well, that all requires a bit of adaptability. But all the people that are involved, how do you get people to become more accepting of other people? How do you get people to become more empathetic? How do you do that? How do you become more empathetic? How do you develop uh, emotional intelligence, which is the ability to see to, to feel somebody else's emotions, to be able to, to, to read the crowd. How do you do that if you don't have a growth mindset, if you don't have mental flexibility and, and unlearning? So we can't, all the, the tasks, all the projects that are on is, well, this year we're going to focus leadership on emotional intelligence. And strategically, we're going to look at diversity and inclusion. Um, and then maybe we can talk about adaptability. You know, right. I don't know how you do any of those things unless you teach people to become more understanding of other people, to be able to walk in other people's shoes, uh, to be able to read the crowd, to see a different perspective, to unlearn. I, I can't tell you how many things I unlearned last year. And, and part of it was because somebody introduced to me. I, I important part of it is through the podcast. You interview some interesting guests and they is like, oh, I've never I never saw that before. Right. Like, you know how and uh, you know how how difficult it is especially about racial inequalities yeah you know i mean I, there was so much that came out last year and it's like how did i not see that i always i thought i was doing the right thing and i wasn't uh and and again it, it's not feel it you know you feel guilty to a degree but how do i how do i not continue to repeat that right uh, and and you have to be comfortable with that you can't become comfortable with it if you're not adaptable. Right, right. Well, this has just been an absolutely wonderful conversation, and I want to be mindful of time. So um, I really appreciate the content today. We're going to shift gears, and we're going to go into the Rebel Human Resources Flash Round. All right, here we go. Question number one, what are you reading right now? 
Oh gosh. Um, like there are 15 books piled up on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, two books. Uh, one is uh, humanocracy. And it, this is probably going into your second question as well, because I'm listening to it on audible <laughs> and, and reading it on Kindle simultaneously. Uh, and the other is the ad- adaptation advantage. Uh, and obviously for, for good reasons, we just talked a lot about it. Uh, some really, really good uh, perspectives, you know, on that humanocracies by uh, uh, Gary Hamill and Michele Zanini. Uh, uh, and uh, it, it's really excellent. It, it, it's, it, it shoots down bureaucracy, you know, the bureaucracy and HR is a bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah. I hate bureaucracy. That's part of why, you know, we started this podcast to try to, you know, kind of knock down the the pillars of of HR as the as the cop or the, you know, the people catch you doing the wrong things right. or drawing up a 600 page policy book that no one reads. <laughs> oh, exactly. So humanocracy is great. Some great concepts in there. And I really enjoying that and adapt adaptation advantage sort of fits in the same realm. With Got that. it. All right, perfect. Question number two: Who should we be listening to? Um, obviously uh, Kyle Rode, <laughs> Rebel HR. Enter uh, shameless plug. Yeah, All right, thanks, yeah, Ira. Appreciate yeah, it. Geek, geek skeezers Googleization. There you go. Uh, you know, is <laughs> it, out there. Uh, really, there are so many quality people. Um, Josh Burson, you know, is, is certainly way out there. Um, Josh, you know, he, he's one of the leaders. Um, but I'll give you some advice that and I don't necessarily have one specific person, but um, I heard this um, by Jeff Hoffman. Jeff Hoffman was one of the co-founders of Priceline. And um, he talked, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I just had brain freeze um, of what the, the what he called it. But it was essentially every day he for 10 or 15 minutes would read something or listen to something that had nothing to do with his business. And hmm. people go, well, why are you, you know, he wasn't in the restaurant business. Why, why were you doing restaurants? What, if you were in banking, why would you read about restaurants? Well, the drive-through didn't come from banking. <laughs> the drive-through came from McDonald's, fast hmm. food restaurant. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, um, so why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't you drive up and drop your deposit off? Why do you have to come into the bank? Um, so there's things happening in other industries that in, will impact or you can learn from in your business. So my suggestion is, is you know, if it was who do I listen to, pick somebody in some other industry that you say, I don't know anything about this and <laughs> see what's see what's happening in that business. And that'll be that, um, that'll be the lesson. I love that response. Learn or unlearn something by okay listening to someone different, right? Yeah. Love it. All right. Uh, Last question here. Hard hitting question for you. How can our listeners connect with you? Oh, many different ways. I'm on uh, social. Well, my website, successperformancesolutions.com. That's uh, the business or simply irawolf.com. That's my personal site. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. You can go just you can Google my name, but uh, if you connect with me, um, reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'll I'll respond accordingly and uh, connect back with you. Uh, you can also just Google. Speaking of Googleization, <laughs> put my name in I, Ira, Ira S. Wolf. S is for Stephen, and I will show up somewhere. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And uh, newest book that's out and available now? It's Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. Uh, it's on Amazon. You can go up to the website. Uh, it's available through my website as well. If you want a side copy, go to the website. If you want it quick, go to Google or go to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ira. It's just been absolutely wonderful uh, talking to you today. And I thought some really valuable content uh, for anybody, whether you're in HR or not. I think um, anybody who's looking to, uh, uh, to understand the new normal and how that uh, may need to shift <laughs> in yeah. your mind um, and some, some ways to get there. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ira. Thanks very much. Don't, as I always close, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.